Welcome to episode 25 of the GameBots podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, we're going to briefly discuss the Oscar results and how Christian and I did on our predictions. I watched Future Man Season 1. Christian saw Aelita Battle Angel. I platinumed Dark Souls 3. Christian played Age of Empires 2. And finally, we're going to briefly touch on the release of Anthem. But first, Christian, the Oscars were last night, and I don't think I did particularly well on my picks. Uh, How did you fare? A little less than 50%, I think. There were some surprises. There were some ones that I I never saw coming a mile away. Yeah, so there's 24 total categories, I think, and I got 9 of them. (laughs) Yeah, I got 11, right? So yeah, a little less than 50%. So where, where it looks like we did pretty bad was on the visual effects, costume, hair, makeup, those kind of things. But we did, we both now animate the animated stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so were there any big surprises for you on what happened? Well, yeah, a few. So I'm looking at our predictions. We both had picked Mary Queen of Scots for both costume design and hair and makeup. It ended up not winning any awards last night, which shocked me. Black Panther ended up winning for costume design, which I'm I'm happy about. I was wrong, but I'm happy about it. And Vice won for hair and makeup, which uh, you had said you were you were kind of on the fence about because they made Christian Bale look so much like Dick Cheney. So th- those were besides the, uh, the the ultimate best picture award. Those were probably the two biggest surprises for me. Yeah, my big surprise was First Man, and I guess I hadn't seen it. I, I should have went with that one. I'm, I'm guessing the effects it must have been pretty sweet. I went Chris, with Christopher Robin instead, and I should have knew that wouldn't have won. Uh, uh, one of the surprises for me was Black Panther, even though it didn't win Best Picture, it fared pretty well uh, in, in winning. It won Original Score, it won Production Design, and it won Costume Design. Yeah, so it, it definitely did better than either of us really expected it to do. Yeah, I, I honestly, I thought it was one of those where they were just inviting it there and then they are going to ignore it. So I'm glad it won some stuff. Yeah. Uh, another big surprise for me was Bohemian Rhapsody winning the editing. I had watched a GIF of some parts of Bohemian Rhapsody's editing that I wasn't paying attention to when I originally watched the movie, and... I think the creator of of like the piece rightfully pointed out there was some not great editing in that movie, so I'm not sure why that one, but you know, take what I say with a grain of salt because obviously I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, it swept those editing categories. It it won for sound mixing, for sound editing, and for film editing. I, I was surprised about that as well. The the one I'm happiest about is that Spider Verse one. That's the only one I I really was invested in winning, so I'm happy that that won its categories best animated short same and so you know we'll get into it you you pick some good ones you got the best documentary short you got best foreign film you got best supporting actress and supporting uh actor as well as best actress so you really swept on actors and actresses right there yep but we both missed best picture and best director yeah Best director was Alfonso Curion, and I think he was giving that given that as a, a reconciliation for him not winning Best Picture. And then Best Picture, which I think was probably the most controversial, was, at least from the internet, was Green Book. Yeah, I'm. I was shocked when I got the news alert last night. I was at work last night, so I didn't get a chance to actually watch it, but I watched big chunks of it uh, throughout the day today and when I got home last night online. But yeah, I, I could not believe when that, that alert came through that Green Book had won. I will say, I've heard on the internet a lot on the internet that it's problematic that it won, and you know this was the white person's movie about black people, and maybe because I'm white. I, I did enjoy the movie. I don't think it was best picture worthy. And so I, I was really surprised at this one. And I think it might be in somewhat of a backlash to a lot of the scrutiny that the Oscars have faced recently, because I think a majority of the voters on the Oscars are old white men. And I've heard some quotes where it was saying that they were tired of being told what movies they can or can't like. And so I think this might have been a bit of a reaction uh, to that. Yeah, it's possible. It's like you said, I had, I did enjoy Green Book. I, I liked it actually more than I expected to. 
And yeah, it, it might just be because I am who I am. I, I didn't immediately recognize a lot of the problems with it, but as soon as they were pointed out, it was like, ooh, yeah, this is not as great as it seemed like it was at first. And yeah, I think you might be right. It may have just been a like a spiteful reaction on the part of the voting committee. So the Oscars themselves, it seemed like there were no big hiccups in the presentations themselves like there have been in the past couple of years. Uh, it's just a really long event. I tried to watch part of it last night, and I watched for maybe 30 minutes, and I did not see an award given. And so I just gave up because I didn't want to sit around for four hours watching commercials and musical performances. And that's crazy, considering like the big, like most of the big things that they've gone through this year has been in an attempt to limit the, the broadcast time, or, or that they were going to cut for the categories and give them out during commercials and not air them. The idea that they wanted to cut some of the musical performances, but not all of them for some reason. It was all done in an effort to shorten the broadcast time, and the fact that they went like the first 30 minutes and not deliver an award is astounding. Yeah, so I, I did not watch the very beginning. It was supposed to start at 8, and I was trying to check out my film what was going on. It seemed like in the first hour, I think they only gave out two awards, and it was, I want to I say one was makeup, and the other one was maybe visual effects. I can't remember for sure, but it was. It seemed like they started moving quicker as the night went on, but the first parts of it and the part I saw was all probably within the first hour to hour and 15 minutes, and it was, it was slow. That's unreal. So the past couple weeks, I have been watching the Hulu original Future Man. Christian, have you seen anything about this? I've seen like little commercials for it on Twitter. <laughs> Seth Rogen is in it, I think, at, at least maybe once or twice. It looks really funny. I just haven't gotten a chance to, to get to it. Yeah, so I actually haven't seen Seth Rogen in it yet. I've watched the first season. I think he might appear at some point in the second season. But, dude, this is a really funny show. It stars Eliza Coop, Josh Hutchinson, and Derek Wilson. And if you don't know who Josh Hutchinson is, he was... He was PETA in Hunger Games, and this story is great. It is a it's a, it's a show about time travel, and it's about this dude Josh Hutchinson who actually plays a character named Josh in his mid twenties, completing this one game that no one has ever beaten. And once he does, these two time travelers come back to have him be the savior of humanity because in their time if you're good at video games that means you're a great soldier but he's obviously not he's a janitor in this company studying diseases and it turns out you know the company he's working for ends up curing all diseases but it ends up having a problem where they create a super race and so the whole thing is extremely raunchy it's so funny if you love dick humor like this is the show for you it would there were parts where like i literally couldn't stop laughing it is so great oh man that's awesome i'm gonna have to start that yeah so the two characters that come back are tiger and wolf and uh wolf is maybe one of my favorite television characters in recent memory there's an entire episode of him just living his life in the 80s and early 90s and just everything that goes on with it from him being from a future that they live in sewers and eat rats and stuff. But he becomes this like gourmet chef. Oh, my. I I wish you had seen parts of it because I don't want to spoil it, but it is so good. Um, interesting. Paul Shear, uh makes a sort of recurring role in it. He plays one of Josh's friends who runs a video game store and it's funny to see him and stuff because I, I don't watch the league anymore and I mostly just have interactions of him through uh, listening to the how did this get made podcast yeah I just saw him in an episode of uh, Grace and Frankie that I was watching I was like huh it's Paul Shear. how about that yeah like I'm delighted when I see him now because you know he plays a very specific character in the league and I think his character gets a little bit annoying at times, but actually as an actor and him hosting How Did This Get Made, I, I really enjoy him. Well, yeah, Future Man sounds pretty cool. I, I like Eliza Coop a lot. She was on the last good season of Scrubs, and uh, she was in that, it's kind of like a, a cult hit called Happy Endings that had three seasons, I think, and she was really funny in that. So I'm I'm a fan of hers. I didn't realize that she was in this. I'm gonna have I'm yeah I'm definitely gonna check this one out. 
Yeah, she plays uh, like the captain of the future soldier only her and Wolf had survived. You know, you see like uh, them become more humane as they're living in the past and are not in their harsh future anymore. But man, just the way they deal with stuff like her first interactions with a baby are great. There's this recurring cop who comes back because they're traveling within like a back and forth in a 50 year period who just progressively his life gets worse. You see like Josh back to the future himself with like messing up his family's history where everything changes from how it was originally to the end. His life is completely different. It is so well done for a time travel uh, show. And I highly suggest people check it out if they have Hulu. So this week, Christian, you saw the new movie, I lead a battle angel. How was that? Uh, it was real weird. So the, the basic plot, if, if I can sort through it myself, is this is the distant, distant future after a war took place, possibly between Earth and Mars. And there used to be floating cities, but they're all gone except for one now. And so the entire plot of this movie takes place in like a kind of like a slum community that exists underneath the last floating city. And so they kind of subsist off of the scraps and the garbage that gets dropped uh, out of the city above them, and they have to live down there. So Christoph Waltz plays a surgeon who specializes in like robot parts. Like he can give you a, like a fully robotic prosthetic limb, or like the, the, like I said, distant future. So he can basically put your head fully into a robot body. And he finds this girl's head with a human brain still inside of it, but the rest of her is all cyborg. And he gives her a body and brings her back. And the story kind of evolves from there in a really twisted and convoluted manner. So this was originally a manga, and I think that could be explain a lot of your points of that you didn't like about this movie, because I think generally manga's go for a really long time and if they're just trying to condense everything into one movie that you could lose a lot in that yeah so i went home after i watched this and i started reading a lot about the manga because it leaves a lot of questions unanswered it's it's definitely trying to set up a sequel i would be stunned if it ever gets one um so i think the manga was like three separate series and the this movie tries to encompass the whole first one so there's a lot of plot points that get brought up. There's a lot of very pointed things that they they talk about, like, oh, they, they make very sure to let you know that the cyborgs still feel pain. But then some of them get diced into like 15 pieces and they don't really even care about it. So like, do they? And so there's a lot of very pointed things like that that they bring up that just never have any payoff. And I don't know if it was stuff that they couldn't get to or if it's stuff that they're trying to set up to pay off in a future movie that'll never happen. But it felt like it was two or three movies that had all been distilled and squeezed into one thing. And so in certain points, it felt it felt too much. Like There was so much going on at once, it was hard to keep track. But then since there were also big chunks of the story missing, it also felt kind of empty at the same time. Did they ever address her huge eyes, or did everyone have huge eyes in this movie? She is the only person with huge eyes, and no, they never address it. That alone creeps me out more than anything and will prevent me from probably ever watching that movie. Yeah, I, I can't remember if I talked about this on, on the pod before or not, but um, we've been showing the trailer for this movie for like eight months. And so I just kind of got used to them. Like she's in the Maze Runner series. And so when I watched the third Maze Runner and I saw her, I was like weirded out a little bit by her normalize. She's really good. Christoph Waltz is really good. Jennifer Connelly is in this a little bit. She's fine. Mahershala Ali, who just won for Best Supporting Actor last night, is in it as one of the main antagonists. He's interesting. <laughs> After seeing him do a pretty great performance in Green Book and then moving on and seeing him in this was a little jarring. I think I would have probably liked his performance in this better if I hadn't seen him do great movies. So yeah, that was that was a little off-putting. Ed Norton makes like a random one scene cameo, and so does Jai Courtney. Do they have like lines? Ed Norton does. So Ed Norton is set up as like the main bad guy for the whole franchise. 
who has kind of not a very big role in this movie. So you only really see him towards the end. And I think he has maybe one speaking line. Jai Courtney is, I don't know why they put him in there at all. He's a prop, basically. Have you seen any of the um, pages or any of the art from the original manga? And If so, how does the art direction of the movie compare to what they went for in the manga? A little bit. So, yeah, it kind of works. The The manga was famous for being, like, hyper-violent, and they definitely tried to translate that, but it's still a PG-13 movie, so they couldn't do too, too much. So instead of getting, like, super, super violent, it just is kind of off-putting like i said there there are people that are getting like sliced and diced into a hundred different pieces and their body parts are all still laying there but they're cyborgs so they're not really they don't bleed or anything it's just wires with skin on the outside so it's yeah it's it's not really gory it's just kind of uh, when you say that, that kind of reminds me of Samurai Jack, how they got away with so much, you know, quote unquote violence. And it was they had him just kill robots instead of humans. So you could you have oil gush out instead of blood. Yeah, it was pretty similar. I man, it's like hard. This is one of those where I'm excited that stories from Japanese manga are getting more focus in America. But also this is a really old manga and it doesn't. From you, it doesn't really sound like they did a very good job with it. Yeah, I was really excited for this movie. And I remember looking over at my friend about halfway through and saying, like, I don't know anything, what the hell's going on, but I'm loving every minute of it. (laughs) But the more the movie went on and the more plot lines got introduced, there was so much going on. I started losing track. And when we left, I was kind of like, eh, It, it grew off of me as it went. Like there's a plot. There's a plot about the war with Mars. There's a plot about the Sky City. There's a plot about Ailita because she doesn't remember who she is, so she's trying to like regain her memories. There's a romance plot. There's a plot about like a serial killer in the Scrap City. There's just there's so much crammed into this one movie. So this was directed by Robert Rodriguez, which I was interested to see what kind of filmography he has. And this is the guy who I did not realize at the time. He did the uh, El Mariachi trilogy. So El Mariachi, Desperado, and Once Upon a Time of Mexico, which uh, before we were started recording, I was telling you was, I think, an underrated Antonio Banderas trilogy. I'm a huge fan of Desperado. And when I was in middle school, seeing him have all the guns in his guitar case, which really cliche now, but back in the day, I thought it was pretty awesome. Also did some work on From Dust Till Dawn, and, and then he was part of the Spy Kids, the three Spy Kids movies, Predators, Machete, and then Shark Boy and Lava Girl. He is a he is a very varied filmography. Yeah, that's crazy. I had not known who the director was. I knew it was written and produced by James Cameron, who, I mean, famously did Avatar and Titanic and a, f- a few others. So I knew his name was attached, and I'd hope that uh, with the like his studio backing it, it might be okay like it was it was cool to look at it was a lot of uh visually it was pretty fun and so i think cameron studio had a lot to do with that it was just story elements that were the problem uh i i, I want to tie this back to future man just for a minute because future man has an entire episode about them breaking into james cameron's house and then befriending an ai that james cameron had created that grows to hate james cameron and it is amazing <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's solid. So, sorry. I, I just think it's funny that we were talking about a James Cameron produced movie, and then there was an entire episode about him and the last thing we talked about. So, overall, uh, do you know how this movie fared Rotten Tomato, you know, review-wise and box office-wise versus its budget? It's sitting at a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes, which even I think is a little generous. Uh, I'd, I'd probably put it closer to like a 50 45 because it was just it was a lot the budget was 170 million which was a lot like this was a very expensive movie to make it only made 61 million back so far uh in the u.s i'm not sure what it made opening weekend but it couldn't have been a lot but worldwide it's bringing in up to 265 million so it's already made its budget back and then some so you never know. I might have to end up eating my words about it never getting a sequel because the international market is apparently crazy for it. Yeah, this makes me wonder, do you think there will be more mangas translated into movies? 
It's very possible, especially if they're getting returns like this. I certainly wouldn't mind seeing more like more stories that I'm not super familiar with. All the negativity I, I have about it, and I have a lot, it was original. Like I've never really seen anything like this. So I would definitely like to see m- more stuff that's kind of out of the blue. I know Japan does some of these, like the Roroni Kenshin live action was supposed to be pretty good. So I, I'm interested to start seeing if other countries um, start pulling stuff from there and doing these. I think the most notorious one America had done before was Dragon Ball Z, and it was spectacularly bad. Yeah, so I think there's a couple different routes you can go here. And I think the Aelita route is the right one, which is to make a movie based on something that hasn't been adapted yet. So, like, the Dragon Ball movies, and I didn't watch the Full Metal Alchemist movie, but I heard not great things. And then there was a Bleach movie that I heard was pretty dreadful. There was a Death Note as well that had Willem Dafoe in it. Yeah, and so these are all things that have been adapted already. And I think the difference is people get attached to the characters and the voices and the mannerisms they see in the TV show or in the anime. Whereas if you're going to do something with I like with Aelita, where you're just adapting a, a novel or a graphic novel or a manga, something where nobody's played this character yet before, I think you're going to be a lot more successful. Yeah, while we were talking about this, I was trying to think of a manga that I think would lend itself well to be live action like this, and I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Uh, it's interesting. I think it would probably be one of the older ones that have a little bit more of a cult following or have fallen out of people's mindset because any anymore now, if you have a successful manga, it generally gets turned into an anime. Uh, so like you were saying, it, it already has sort of its own presence on a moving media instead of just a static comic book form. Yeah, I honestly, I don't think I've read a single manga that hasn't also been a tv show usually the tv shows are are my gateway into them which is one of the reasons that i would be excited to see something that's never been adapted before because like i said it would be completely new to me so last week i finally platinumed dark souls 3 and i gotta say christian i'm really happy to be done with it (laughs) i bet so this is supposedly the last game of the Dark Souls franchise. And just a little bit of background if someone has not played any of the Dark Souls before. So Dark Souls is a notoriously difficult series, which I think once you actually get into it, uh, its claims of being difficult are a little bit overblown because once you get used to it in enemy placement, it becomes a lot more manageable. So these games were developed by From Software, and there's five of them in the surrounding universe of Dark Souls. So it's called this Soul. They're called Soulsborne games. And so the original game was Demon Souls on PlayStation Three. It was an exclusive, and then you got Dark Souls, Dark Souls Two, which were also on PlayStation Three, and then have been ported over to the PlayStation Four, uh, Xbox. They're also on the 360, and then Xbox One. They were on last generation, and they came to this generation. There's Bloodborne, which is a PlayStation 4 exclusive, and then you had Dark Souls 3, which is on everything. And so these games are known for a couple things. And first of all is you have Stamina Bar, where if you attack or you roll, that uses up Stamina. And then it's also known for if you die, you lose all what are called your souls, which are what you use to level up and buy other items. So you have to get back to where you died to pick them up, or if you die again, you lose everything. So that can lead to some frustrating moments where you're trying to make your way back to a boss, and then you die again, you lose could lose a lot of potential progress. And these games are known for being hard because you can get teamed up by even the weakest enemies, and they can really tear you down. So generally they call for a pretty slow approach to the game. And previously, I've platinum Demon Souls and the Dark Souls HD uh, remaster last year. And in general, I'd say I enjoy these games. I really, really did like 3. Is there anything in 3 that really stuck out for you? So what was, I think, nice about 3, but also I, I sort of disliked about it, was it's a lot faster than the other two. So Demon Souls and Dark Souls is a lot of plotting. On your first playthroughs, usually you learn to play with a shield and... You put your shield up, you let enemies attack you, and then you counter. And this one, it's a lot faster. So they incorporated the combat system from Bloodborne, which was much quicker than Demons or Dark Souls was. 
but they then pull the character back a little bit with that so you can still use the shield and everything and you're not as quick as you are in Bloodborne but the enemies are. For normal enemies you can shield up and everything like you normally could but for bosses you have to really learn to dodge and I feel like I actually became a better player because of it but also it was a little more frustrating because I, I thought the bosses in this were the hardest of that uh, the three games that I've played but also I found the boss battles to be the most fun because they felt like an actual challenge to beat them. Like the hidden boss in this one is called um, the Nameless King and it's a two-part battle and the first part sucks. It's against the dragon and really your main enemy is the camera uh, because he's flying all over and you cannot get a good lock on him. But the actual fight with the Nameless King himself is really fun because he's a very quick enemy and he hits like a truck. So I was I was really pumped when I beat him. Like I felt legitimately accomplished. Uh, also, the graphics in this are way better than the other two. I mean, it's kind of obvious. The first game, Demon Souls, I think came out in 2009, and I think Dark Souls was 2011, and Dark Souls 3 came out in 2016. So the graphics in this, I think, are gorgeous. Uh, just to give you an idea of what this game looks like, uh, a lot of the creatures are based on Dungeons and Dragons, Dra Dungeons and Dragons. So. There's a quote from the creator who was saying that they would more or less look at some of the Mon Dungeons and Dragons monster books, but because they didn't speak English, they didn't really know how to, you know, what any of these creatures' backstories were. So then they would create their own backstory. So the Dark Souls franchise itself has a pretty deep uh, backstory with all the creatures and everything because, you know, you see some familiar things. Like you see um, mind flayers in Demon Souls who are acting as jailers. Or you see dragons or you see other things. So it's really cool to see a different take on the standard Dungeons and Dragons stuff, which, which I really did appreciate. Yeah, that, that would be pretty neat. So I will say, platinum-wise, this is... Definitely not a fun platinum. Part of it is you have to unlock all spells and miracles and collect all rings, which require grinding what are called covenant items. And to get these, you join what's called a covenant, and then that will affect how you do this game's multiplayer, which includes either helping people or you go into their game and try and kill them, which I don't enjoy invading other people's games because I feel like a jerk, but also at this point, most people playing are not new players, so it's probably okay so that's also why the games are hard is if you're trying to play through it people can invade your game and try and kill you and they're generally harder than most enemies in the game yeah so to unlock a lot of the spells and stuff you have to join these covenants and then do these very specific tasks of either killing people or you have to kill enemies in the game to get drops and one of those items is called a proof of concord kept which is a very rare enemy drop and generally you just I you know reading on the internet you don't get summoned very much for the covenant that you're playing. I really lucked out doing this though. I got like half of my thirty from online play. I just attached that item and I got summoned a fair bit. I stopped at soul level I think one twenty, and ended up getting summoned about ten between ten and fifteen times. I forget because I got a couple of doubles in those, uh, and and I lucked out. But still, I I was grinding for him for probably about between 10 to 15 hours for those alone. And then for the other ones, I probably put in 20 to 25, including invasions, fight clubs, just trying to get the drops, things like that. Uh, so definitely a long platinum. And then also to get it, you need to go through new game plus two. So you have to play it your first time. You have to replay it. And then you have to replay it a third time. And each time the bosses get progressively hard, harder because you need to get, you have to collect all the rings and each ring that had some rings have a plus one and plus two version of them. So you have to collect those as well. So that can really just add, add time to your platinum. Yeah, I can imagine. That sounds like it's a lot of grinding. Yeah. One cool thing about this game though is each playthrough is a little bit differently. So on my first playthrough, I use my starting short, my starting longsword for like the entire game. You can upgrade them and then give special infusions based on your stats that make them better. And part of my gripe is that the longsword was probably one of the best swords in the game. Like you had fast attack time on it, and it does considerable damage. And so if you make a mistake, you can recover quicker from it. There's tons of weapons in the game that you can use as long as you put stats to to do so. But I could have chose a different item, but I guess so used to it. So I was like, oh, at the end of the game, like I only really use one item. So on my next playthrough, I used the Giant's Club, which was a 
a big slow weapon and I actually had a lot more fun with it because you approach fights a little bit differently so that was one cool way to make it the other playthroughs a little bit different uh my only other gripe is I felt like I wanted to use magic more like I used magic a lot in demon souls and I thought it was fun I, I really didn't use it on this game until the very end when I had extra extra souls to just put into things so I could actually cast useful magic but overall, I'd say this is a very solid game. I'd probably put it as like a B-plus rating. I think it's one of the better games on of this generation. I don't think it's up there with, you know, must-plays of this generation. Uh, Dark Souls is one of those series, or Soulsborne in general, where if you don't like this, if you haven't liked the previous games, you're not going to like this one. It's just more of the same, but if you do like this type of game, you're, you know, you're going to love this one. You might have preferences to the older games over this one, but I still think you will enjoy this game. So I, I think one of the better games if it's if it's your cup of tea. So this week, Christian, Age of Empires 2 was released on Steam and you got to play some of it. Uh, how has how, it been? It's been pretty great, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, did you play this when you were younger? Not much younger. We used to play this at work. There was a, a big gang of us that would all hang out upstairs and, and set up like a LAN and, and just really have a lot of fun playing Age of Empires 2. Uh, but that was only about six or seven years ago. It's not like I was playing this when it first came out back in like 95. Oh, really? See, I, I played this a lot when I think I was in sixth grade. I love this. I'd go over to my friend's house and we'd play it. Uh, I loved all of the modes and I loved, you know, creating huge battles and stuff and... I never actually played it legitimately. I always used cheats because it made it more fun. <laughs> I still remember them. I think it was cheesesteak jimmies for food, lumberjack for wood. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, like there's one where you can turn all your units into cars with guns on the front of them. Yeah, it's like Cobra or something like that. Yeah, we we played a few games like that, but we mostly just played like uh, like like four humans on a team versus four computers typically. We never really liked to play person versus person because we were all pretty competitive and they would just start fights with us. <laughs> I always liked in that game that you could load 20 elephants into a ship, but you could only load like 20 <laughs> archers or something like the physics made absolutely <laughs> no sense when you looked at the unit size. Yeah, but it's this is great. So Steam just put out a like an HD. Uh, I mean, they're calling it Age of Empires 2 HD. It looks largely the same to me. Maybe just because I have a bigger computer, so the resolution ends up being about the same size. But the they they came out with a pack that's twenty bucks. That's just basically the original game, and then you can pay forty for like an updated version with extra civilizations. And there are a ton of new civilizations. So have you? Did you buy the upgrade? Yes. Yeah, so I I bought the forty dollar pack. I played as the Ethiopians, who kind of owned. I'm not gonna lie. They had some nice ground units that take down buildings real fast, and the castle poops them out real fast, too. Like, you set up 15 to get made, and they're made in, like, seconds. It was pretty great. The, there's a an Indian civilization with... They also have war elephants, but they have, like... They're like the elephants from Lord of the Rings that have, like, the archer towers built on top of them. So that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I'm I'm having a lot of fun revisiting some of the, like... Not exactly my childhood, but like uh, it's it's been nostalgic from a few years ago, just being able to get online because that was another thing that we could never the all the online servers had been taken down by the time we got around to really playing as a group. And so we had to make sure we were on a land together if we wanted to play. Whereas now, since it's through Steam, the online servers are back up, so we're all able to play from the various cities that we live in. I didn't even think of the server part. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, because I mean, this Age of Empires came out. Age of Empires Two came out in 1999, and then Ensemble Studios, the guys who created the game, uh, their last game was Halo Wars, which was 2009. So I'm guessing by the time you played, they weren't even like a studio anymore. Yeah, it's very, very possible. Because, yeah, I just I had started the movies in 06. So, yeah, it was several years after that that we started playing Age. But, yeah, this is it's been a lot of fun to to be able to hop online. The last time we tried to play, we we all got together. And like the, the only way that we could get this was through some kind of like old download that one of us had had. And we were all using different versions and none of them were compatible with each other. So when, when we all got together about a year ago to try and play Age one more time, it, we couldn't even get our computers to connect to each other. So it was kind of a bummer. So it's yeah, it was a lot of fun earlier this week to get online and be able to just 
have it work because we all downloaded the same thing for once. Uh, it's good to see that older games are being, at least older computer games are being brought back to still be playable in modern times. Uh, I know like my wife really enjoys the Miss series and I kept trying to find versions for her that were compatible on my PC or her Mac or something like that. And I bought a couple of them because they're like two or three dollars, but every version for whatever reason would play for 10, 15 minutes and then crash and then crash and then crash. So like she couldn't really get into it. And then they recently did a Kickstarter she donated to it and ended up getting like seven missed games or something like that and they all work well now so it's cool to see that these studios are either or other studios are getting the rights to publish them and, and they're re-releasing some old classics uh so people who are either fans can get to replay them or you know you get new fans that way yeah some of this these games really hold up like you said missed is is definitely one I still have my original copy of Roller Coaster Tycoon that I had to kind of finagle to get it to work on my computer today, but I still play that from time to time. And yeah, 1999, this game was released, Age of Empires 2, and it really still holds up. I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah, that was it's probably my favorite RTS. I've never been a big RTS guy, but I, I always had a lot of fun playing Age of Empires 2. Uh, I tried to get into like some newer ones. Like I, I, I bought Civ Six. I think is the newest one. It was fun, but it was there's way more to it than me just trying to conquer people in Age of Empires, which is the part that I liked, and I, I couldn't get into it as easily. Yeah, now that I have this, and and uh, like Steam has as trophies and stuff the same way ps4 and xbox has achievements i might actually try to play through like the story mode kind of thing that they have that i never really went through back a few years ago when we were playing because i always i always just live for the multiplayer but if i'm gonna get like trophies and stuff yeah i could definitely see myself playing through like campaigns and things yeah is it Genghis khan who's in uh in in two i think so if it's him, his campaign's fun. The Mongolian campaign was fun. That's what I always played. Uh, I really like their horseback archers. I, I That's the only one I remember playing through all the way. I think William Wallace has one too, but he might have just been the tutorial part. I, I can't remember. I do. Yeah, I do remember that William Wallace was the tutorial. But yeah, like I always used to play as the Teutons. They were always pretty good at taking down buildings, and I liked the British a lot because the, the British had this archer unit that was just unbelievable like if you put like 40 or some archers in a you didn't even need walls they would just mow down anything that came their way the longbow archers yeah yeah they're awesome you like upgrade them man they were really good (laughs) and then there were the persians with their war elephants that you needed to have like your entire village needed to be a farm if you wanted to sustain your war elephants i would definitely recommend this to anyone who really enjoys video games because it's it's an old game, but it's a classic, and even through the ages, like I said, it really holds up. Even today, I have a lot of fun playing it. Man, you talk about the units are making me think. Was there Chinese in there who had like a repeat crossbow that was horrible? Like I, I felt like that unit always got shafted. Yeah, and the the Vikings weren't very good unless you were playing on a water map, and then they had boats for days. Yeah, <laughs> if you were if you were not on a water map, though, they were useless. And I, I'm a big fan of water maps, but a lot of the people we play with are not, so we typically won't do it. I'm, I, I will say I kind of cheat a little bit, even without the cheat codes. I, my favorite map was called Black Forest because it was always you didn't need a whole lot of walls because there were so many trees and you were just kind of in a nook by yourself. And I would make siege onagers, which you could make attack ground instead of units, and I would make them mow a path through the trees and I would just kind of erupt into somebody's village in the middle of it. And it was the best pro tip. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, our, our team is always very competitive. And so there, there were a few games where one of us would randomly switch sides and just start attacking somebody's village for no real reason. We get yelled at and derail the game for a little while and then we'd rebuild and, and set everything back to normal. So, yeah, we've been kind of slowly hooking it all, all the old gang up with uh, this new version and trying to get them on Steam. So there's there's four of us now, I think, that, that jump on and play, and I'll probably be playing some tomorrow. In video game news, Anthem has recently been released to, I would say, overwhelmingly mixed to negative reviews it has a metacritic score of 60 with a user score of 4.2 it 
Have you watched or heard anything about this uh, botched release, Christian? Not much other than basically what you've already said. I, I heard it came out and I heard it was not super well received. So if you guys don't know, Anthem is a game that is made by BioWare, who is known for basically doing RPGs like Mass Effect. That's their most recent huge one, but huge one, but also uh, the Dragon Age games, which are really fun. And uh, I think they did KOTOR. And in general, they're known for RPGs. So this game tries to merge their art, some RPG elements with a games-as-a-service model that EA has really been pushing, and it's not been well-received. Generally, everyone has said that this game's boring. Uh, the, the, apparently, the gunplay with these it, within it feels good, but the game itself is boring, which is unfortunate because the game is you essentially pilot Iron Man armor or like Hulkbuster armor. And that should be awesome. And to make that boring, I think is a pretty hard job. I know, I had a buddy at work who was playing it, and he said he was enjoying it so far. But he definitely had he definitely seen some points where it was it was a little rough. From what I've heard, they've made weird choices. Like you have to fly throughout the world, but while you're flying, your suit will overheat, so you have to either cool it down or stop. Which I think is ridiculous if you're just trying to traverse the world and you're not battling. That adds no real purpose other than to make you slow down and i guess look through the world but you should do that through ways that make people want to explore an environment not hinder them trying to move through your environment yeah really another er another issue i've heard is apparently the hub world is just lifeless which is surprising for a bioware game everyone just kind of stands around and doesn't interact with each other Generally, it looks like the cutscenes have been well acted, and I've heard different reviewers say their favorite person is someone, but then they hated everyone else, so it seems like it's very subjective on who you like in the game. That's, I guess, the only real positive about it. It seems like that their mission structures are what's killing them, whereas like a lot of these are go to point A and defend it from waves or something like that, which that gets boring after a while, I think. Um it seems like it has a lot of the same problems that destiny had when it was released, which was released four or five years ago at this point. And a lot of people are saying you should not make those same mistakes where maybe in a, you know, six months to a year, this game will be awesome. But right now it seems like it's a little bit unreleased for a six uh, unfinished for a $60 game. Yeah. I was just talking to somebody about basically this, like how could you work this hard on a game and put it out before it's ready? Well, they've been working on this game for a while, too, which is what's surprising. It's one of those things where how much is Bioware wanting to make a games as a service and EA forcing them to do what's not really in their wheelhouse, which I'm guessing it's more EA forcing them to do what's not in their wheelhouse. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so hopefully Bioware does OK. I love Dragon Age Inquisition. I know it was a little bit it had a little bit mixed receiving where I think critics really liked it, but it seems like users didn't like as much as old games. But I thought it was really good. And generally, I like Bioware stuff. So I'm hoping that this game doesn't crush them. And it's funny, I feel like EA has hurt them too by releasing Apex Legends like two weeks before Anthem does. And Apex Legends has been hugely successful so far where no one's really saying anything bad about the game. And that's the free one, right? Yeah, that's the free-to-play one by the Titanfall guys, uh, Respawn. And it seems like this that's the one that's had the least amount of EA interfering with it. So it's one of those things where it's like, is EA making these studios worse and everything? Uh, sorry, one thing I wanted to point out that also is apparently very bad in the game is it has really long load screens. And you can't just equip a weapon you pick up in the field. You have to go back to your hub world to equip it and then go back out. But there's like four minutes of load screens in, time, in between that. Which I understand, I understand mechanically. Like, okay, we have to... Like, you couldn't just equip a gun to a mech suit. You need robots to help you. But also, it's like a game where, for ease of use, just lets you equip it, you know? Yeah. Kingdom Hearts 3 has a lot of really long load screens, too. And, like, anytime you want to go play the Bistro minigame, you have to go through a load screen and then you have to go back again to get back out. And it, it yeah, even just that got frustrating for me. So I, I can't even imagine for something like just equipping a weapon. Yeah, and you know what's weird, Christian? I noticed load screens a lot on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 generation. I think they've been better uh this generation of games and when they're not they're really noticeable like i remember in skyrim there were so many loading screens like if you go into certain like i hated going into certain halls because i knew there'd be a loading screen 
but I, I haven't really had that problem this generation, so it's weird to me that when you hear about it, it, it seems like it's something that could have been fixed, or you address it in different ways instead of having a screen. It's kind of a dynamic one where things load in the background while you're traversing or something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think back, and like, I don't think Kingdom Hearts 2 had any loading screens. I know Final Fantasy X has a few, but they're they're pretty brief. You just kind of breeze right through them. The the ones that I remember the most is from Fable 3, but those were kind of cool because they looked like posters that had been like glued up on a wall and so that you like there is text and pictures and stuff. So it was like an in-game little thing that you could like read and they even they weren't super super long. The Kingdom Hearts 3 ones are like fake Instagram posts from in the game from characters and they're all pretty dumb. I bet they repeat after a while. <laughs> And oh yeah, they do. Like as you go and and you meet new characters, you get some new ones. But for the first half of the game, it's like the same three or four over and over again. This game is receiving so much negative hype about it. It's actually making me want to see it. Like this has a negative effect on me. Like I want to see how bad this game actually is because I'm sure it's bad. But is it actually like a bad game or is it just aggressively mediocre and people are disappointed by it? You know, like. Does it play? How is it? And, and when I see things like this, it makes me kind of want to check out how much of a train wreck it actually is. I ended up checking out Battlefront 2, which everyone hated on. Uh, I waited till it went down in price to like $30 or something, but I ended up picking that up because I, I heard everyone hate on it. And I mean, it had its problems definitely with monetization, but when I picked it up, they actually had fixed that, their leveling progression system. It was like a fine game. I don't think it was like one of the best games ever, but I- I'm curious about this one. Is it going to actually be as bad as everyone's saying? Or do they patch it, which has its own problems of what's the you know ethical issues of releasing an unfinished game at full price and then fixing it down the road? But I- I'm really curious. I just don't want to pay $60 for it. Yeah, I definitely get that. It was a game like if it was on Xbox Game Pass or my friend had it and I could just mess around with it, uh, I would totally check it out, but not dropping $60 on this one. Okay, now it's time for our Amazon review game. Just a quick recap, I'm going to read a five-star Amazon review for a movie. Christian will have two yes or no questions to help him guess what it is. He can request me to read a second review. He'll get two more yes or no questions, and then he can ask for one more review, and he'll have to. Uh, he'll get two more yes or no questions, and then he has to guess. Uh, and we are keeping score now, so if Christian gets on the first review, he gets three points, two points for the second one, one point for the last one. Christian, are you ready? I'm ready. One of my all-time favorite movies. There's a bit of the Irish mythologies in it, which is a plus. You can't expect to see computer-generated effects when no one but NASA even had computers back then, and they used punch cards to run programs and batches. But that doesn't matter. Because the story itself holds up well, a fantastic, well-done story always trumps effects anyway. And it's great to see a movie where story is the most important and does not suffer because of the effects. It's a generous, moving film. Oh, wow. Man, you said Irish mythology, and I was like, oh, it's got to be brave. But, man, if it wasn't, if it's back from when NASA was still using punch cards. Hmm. Is this an action movie? I would not classify it as an action movie, no. Man, I'm just I'm struggling to even come up with a question to ask. Is this a sci-fi movie? Uh no, this is not a sci-fi movie. Then I'm definitely going to need another review. Loved this movie in the 80s and still love it. Great music, great direction, great story. This movie is a guilty pleasure. I like the concept of the boy living an adventure through the reading of a mysterious book. The effects in the movie, a lot of them practical and with excellent makeup jobs, are really awesome. I wish it was 10 hours long. I still love the music, and I've got the CD. I tried showing it to my, at the time, 10-year-old niece, and it scared the crap out of her. Who wouldn't get creeped out by the wolf? And she made me turn it off when the horse... Uh, when they go into the swamps of sadness. I wouldn't blame her. I felt like crying too. Highly recommended. It's a never-ending story. Yes. 
Oh man, I'm so mad at myself for not getting it earlier. I love this movie. I have not seen this movie since I was probably like 10. I have it on Blu-ray. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I actually wrote that review. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, this was, this was one of those things I was walking through Walmart happened to like glance down and it was sitting there on the Blu-ray shelf. I don't know if it had just come out or if they were like hawking it for something, but I was like, Oh yes, absolutely. I don't even, I like, I don't even need to look at the price tag. I'm absolutely buying this on Blu-ray. We used to drive around and, uh, Two of our friends would very ironically blast the theme song out of their car windows in the middle of the night as loud as they could. All right, guys, thanks for checking out our episode. Before we head out, Christian, what are you going to be checking out this week? Not very much, to be honest. There's uh, there's not really any movies coming out this week that I really want to see. I might go watch Fighting With My Family, which had come out earlier this week. But there's not much I'm super excited for until Captain Marvel. So I'm probably just going to be playing some Final Fantasy, maybe some Spyro 2. I watched How to Train Your Dragon 3 this week, and it was absolutely incredible. So I'll I'll probably talk about that next week. So next week I'm going to, or at least this week, I'm hopefully going to be platinuming uh, Gravity Rush 2. I am at the part where I just need to grind for crystals. I'm really annoyed. Like, crystals are the game's form of currency. I have done all the challenges. I've played through the games and I've explored, and I have 40,000 crystals and I am 40,000 crystals short from uh, fully upgrading my character which I think is ridiculous pacing on their part to make you that short at the end of the game so I'm going to be doing hardcore grinding of that for a couple hours yeah that's crazy yeah weird weird pacing otherwise not not too much going on uh i'll probably start another video game but i'm not sure i might be figuring out how to animate a little bit messing around with that there's no movie i really want to see i cancel movie pass this weekend i keep having to check my bank account because uh they're notorious for billing you after your cycle so i, I need to make sure they don't bill me because as i'm like a yearly plan i don't really want to have to fight them for like a hundred some dollars <laughs> Man, that's yeah. That's one of the first things we talked about on this podcast way back a few months ago. I have not used it in the twenty-five episodes since we talked about it. <laughs> yes, yeah, since then, like the the number that have been coming into the movie theater is, have dwindled down to almost zero. I see one maybe like one customer every two months now. Dude, I would check my thing daily uh, for like the first couple months, and I would still check it like once a week. I have seen maybe three movies I could go to since august like it was it's ridiculous how much they they changed it and it would have been better if i was by like an amc or something that had e-ticketing like i I could have still used it but i got my money i got my initial investment back which plus like 10 or 20 20 dollars worth of movies so i guess i'm okay with it but it left kind of a sour taste in my mouth and i wish i had gone month to month and did not jump on the annual plan like i did All right, guys, thanks for checking out our episode. If you want to reach us to either give a comment or suggest a movie for the Amazon review game, you can reach us at gambots.blog at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at Gambots Network. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thank you.